Welcome to the podcast. Hey, today we're going to look at this idea that there's nothing new under the sun, but we're going to really apply it to what this generation is facing because every single generation has to fight the good fight. Now, this goes back 2,000 years. This goes back way further than that. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, Paul is passing the torch, if you would, to Timothy, and he tells him to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust those to faithful men who can teach others. So what we have there is really the same thing we have going on today as we have, you know, the changing of the guard, so to speak. We've got the old people going out. We've got new people coming in. Paul is probably 20, maybe 30 years older than Timothy. And what he does is he teaches Timothy, but he wants to teach Timothy so that Timothy can teach other people how to teach and, you know, set up that chain reaction that carries on down through time and obviously has worked somewhat because 2,000 years later, well, what are we doing? Well, we're still talking about Jesus. But all you've got to have is really just one generation to fail. And that's where I think we're at a really precarious time right now in our modern times. Now, I want to go all the way back about, oh, I don't know, 3,000 years or so and give you an example out of the book of Judges. This is Judges 2, 7, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 10. But he said, the people of the Lord, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen the great work the Lord had done and which he had done for Israel. Now, down in verse 10, he tells us that that generation were also gathered to their fathers. And there arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done. Somehow or another, they failed to pass the torch. They failed to get that information to the next generation. And the book of Judges is just one horrible tragedy after another while the people try to get their feet back under them. And it works a little while and it doesn't work. And eventually, of course, we we just have the total ruin of Israel and the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, now re- history just repeats. There's, there's nothing new going on here. I think that's one of the deceptions as we start thinking, oh, but this is new. Our time is different. No, it's not. Our time is not different at all. Oh, we may have been a little worse cycle than, let's say, the folks in the 1960s or the 1800s were. Uh, we could debate that a little bit, quibble about it. But the battles are never, never once fought and then over forever. We don't get to fight the battles and think, okay, our kids will never, ever have to deal with these. It's going to happen. It just happens that the old stuff just recirculates and some of the names change, the faces change, but there's nothing new. It all comes over again and again. And the new generation coming up, you know, the joke we kind of make about 16-year-olds thinking they know everything. Well, that extends quite a bit further past 16. And they decided they know stuff that nobody else on planet Earth has ever discovered. And so... They think take things off in a bad direction. And so each generation has to be taught. And like I say, this current generation, man, it is really in a precarious situation. And things are really probably the ugliest they've been for a couple of hundred years or longer. It's kind of hard to really pick those things out of history. But again, this is nothing new. This is what, this is what I don't want you to get caught up in. Uh, once you get caught up in a woe is me, this is so horrible. I don't think we're as bad as the days of Noah when God decided to wipe out the entire planet. I don't think we're as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah when he decided to wipe out that entire area either. And I don't think we're as bad as what Isaiah experienced. And I'm going to read you Isaiah 5, 20 and 21, and I think you get what I'm saying. So all the way back then, this is 2,700 years ago, he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Now, again, that's Isaiah 5, verse 20, 21. That was 2,700 years ago. And I know some of you are going, sounds like America to me. 
sound like 2023 modern day. And it does, and that's the point. There's nothing new. The battles we are fighting are the same battles Isaiah was fighting, Joshua was fighting, just pick a generation, and it's always been the same battles. I think what may be different for you and I is that we have so much social media, we have so much media access that, you know, we have more of a global vision and we see all of this stuff happening at once, where if you had lived in the pre-1950s, even before the 1900s, you wouldn't have gotten news at the crazy rate you get it today. So every generation is having to deal with this. I want you to think back when you were a kid, maybe, and I realize some schools still do this, but every morning we'd say the Pledge of Allegiance. And part of the pledge to the flag was we would say one nation under God. And that's not what America believes anymore. America is really, really going down a secular path, and most don't believe it. And in fact, a lot of Christians don't believe it, which just blows my mind that you can be claim to be Christian and yet not really be Christian, but People have always always done that kind of nonsense. So nothing new, same battles. Like I say, the faces, the times, the places change. But we fight the good fight. That, that's what we're on board for. We're going to be that, that little bit of salt. We're going to be that light. And we're going to be like Paul told Timothy in Timothy 6.12, 1 Timothy 6.12, to fight the good fight. And I'm going to tell you, do it on a book, chapter, and verse foundation. Do you know Psalms 119, 105? Love to quote it, quote it all the time. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Or 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I'll paraphrase a bit, but he says all scripture is given by inspiration. All of it is profitable for some teaching and correction so that we may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so here we are, we're fighting this good fight and we need to take courage, kind of like what Hebrews 12, 1 says, we have this cloud of witnesses, all these people who generations before us for four or 5,000 years have been fighting the good fight. And I don't know if they can literally see us or not, but I like to imagine them up there cheering us on, saying, we fought it in our generation, and you can fight it in your generation, and we'll pass that torch on down and let another generation fight it after our days are over. And so we gladly practice Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, where we present our bodies a living sacrifice to God, because we know we're only going to be here a short time. We get 70, 80 years. You know, we get better health practice. We may be here 100 years, but we're going to be dead forever. And the length of time we're dead looks like, makes this life look like nothing. Now and then I think about the rich man. And he lived that wonderful life. And let's say he lived to be 100. I doubt it. But let's say he did. And then I like to follow up the story with about how long has he been dead? And the answer is about 2,000 years. And then you go, whoa, wait a minute. He got maybe 100 years of pleasure. And the last 2,000 years he's been saying, I'm in torment in this flame. Can I have just one drop of water? And when you start putting it on the scale like that, you go, okay, <laughs> I think I can present my body a living sacrifice. And that's a whole lot easier than go on the path that the rich man chose and most people chose. So what is the underlying problem? And that, that's really where I like to get to. And Paul told us exactly what the underlying problem is. I'm going to read you Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17. Paul wrote, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Every individual, every generation fights the flesh. That's what it boils down to a combat with fleshly desires. Every generation needs a Paul. Every generation needs a Timothy and faithful men to help them fight that battle because it is a perpetual uphill battle. This life here 
to put it in my simple Arcanese, this ain't heaven. Heaven's on the other side of the tombstone. The fight, the battle, the struggle, the straight and narrow way, that's over here. That's what we're doing. And that's where we need to keep our focus and understand that Satan is the instigator. And the Bible, again, very clear about that. Ephesians 6 and 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, that was Ephesians 6, 12. And Satan, I tell you, you've got to give the devil his due. He is a diabolical genius. He is a covert enemy that uh, he's almost taken himself out of you, except for a few of us Christians that still talk about him. He, he favors disguises. And I'm not talking about the Halloween suit with the red and the pitchfork. I'm talking about these disguises of so-called passion uh, and caring for people and political correctness and claims of fairness. Like, you know, we're just trying to be fair to everybody, which, of course, is bogus. Uh, And the moment you stand up and you make your stand for Christ, all that fairness is gone. They don't want you to have equal time or an equal platform. They want you to hush up and keep your belief in the closet while they control the narrative out there on social media and other places. So, man, I tell you, when I think about Satan, how clever he is and how he plays the long game, I'm just like, okay, he's wrong, he's evil. But you got to give him his diabolical due there. So, verse 14, beginning of 2 Corinthians 11, he says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. That was 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. So Satan, not only is he extremely clever and covert, but he uses religion. He uses religion to help advance his own agenda. And is he ever successful? Now, again, this was foretold. Jesus said it 2,000 years ago. I'm looking at Matthew 7, 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so what he did was he let these people get in there and play religion, pretend that they were doing whatever they did. They used the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Their heart was never in contact with Christ. They never knew the salvation experience. And my question is, how could they so completely miss it, thinking they were on their way to heaven, but they weren't? And that's because Satan's people have commandeered the scriptures. They have commandeered the message. They have twisted it to their own destruction. And lazy church members have sat back and let it happen because the lazy church members are too busy out there chasing the flesh. But remember, that's your ultimate bottom line, is this is a competition between the flesh and the spirit. And you got a lot of people out there who want to profess Christ and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But honestly, they don't. They want to chase the flesh while somebody pats them on the head and tells them how good they are. And then when they get before the judgment seat of Christ, then they'll find out they never were on the straight and narrow road. So Jesus warned us, and he's so clear about it. We can go to Matthew 15, verse 13 and 14. And he said, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. Their blind guides the blind. If the blind man guides the blind man, both will fall into a pit. That's Matthew 15, 13 and 14. So I kind of wonder, man, you've got some strong warnings here. And then I'm wondering how many people, professed believers, actually read the book and learn the scriptures? And I would say you're probably in the single digits. 
I don't have statistics on it, but that'd be pretty much my guess. Most of the people I talk to that profess to follow the Bible don't have a clue what's in the book. They're just totally reliant upon a preacher to tell them because they think, well, he's smarter than me. Well, he may have studied longer than you, but let me tell you what, that book was written to you individually, not written to a preacher to relay to you. The blind lead the blind. You're both going to be in a whole lot of trouble. So I wonder again, how many people examine themselves? Second Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself. But obviously we got a lot of folks not examining themselves in the light of the scriptures. They're just trusting that whatever preacher talks to them, they figure they like him. He seems like a good guy. And that, that's where they put their trust. I wonder how many people really make an effort to bring every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ to 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5 tells us to do. But now, and I get it. This is not easy. Well, no, it's not easy at all. This is hard. And Satan has commandeered religion and turned it into a customer mentality and an entertainment and recreation. Now, granted, it's moral entertainment and recreation for the most part, but it's taken all the straight and narrow out of it. But it's only the straight and narrow road that leads to heaven. So we must stand up and we must fight the good fight. And for our time here, before we pass that torch on, and you pass that torch on about the time the coroner says, I'm sorry, he's passed, we must be the change we want to see. And that must start inside of each of us first before it can grow out beyond us. We can't give away what we don't have. And then we can't pawn off this responsibility so we can go play. If we pawn it off, then all we did was give the flesh the victory. So Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body. I like this next part. He says, I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So Paul is a great example. He knew what his mission was and he ran it and he ran it with intention. He ran it with deliberate aim. He knew where he was going. He had set his mind on heaven on the straight and narrow. And so here's the goal, because nothing, nothing is going to compensate if you miss heaven. I don't care if you've got billions and billions of dollars. If you end up sitting next to the rich man in torment, all your billions of dollars that you left behind on earth are not going to do you any good when you're sitting there having a pity party along with the rich man. So Paul didn't coddle the desires of the flesh. Again, I like the way he said it. He said, I make my body my slave. I think if we'd see a few more people do that, we'd start seeing good old book, chapter, and verse Christianity gain some traction and make a little better headway. So let's start winding up. Paul knew Satan's strategy. And this is what a whole lot of people are ignorant of nowadays. Bless their heart. He knew that Satan would use subtle distractions, just the smallest, easiest distraction. That's all it takes. It doesn't even have to be immoral. This is, this is where the cleverness comes into play. A moral activity can be a sin if it keeps you from seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If a moral activity, and I'm, I'm talking about something that you really honestly look at and go, look, this isn't a sin. It's not a sin to go fishing, and it's not. Fishing's a good moral activity unless... It causes you to kick God to the curb, lower God to number two instead of number one, because God said we're to love him with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And if we're so busy out there chasing even the moral activities of the flesh, the moral recreation of the flesh, the moral entertainment of the flesh, and we've put God on the back burner, Satan won. The flesh won. And we've got a lot of folks out there 
overtaking the scripture, they're controlling the narrative, and they're twisting it to their own destruction, and people who have not yet conquered the flesh are getting on board because that clever twist of words appeals to the flesh. And that's going to cost a lot of people their eternity when they should have been reading the book for themselves. So, <clears throat> nothing new under the sun. Satan has no new strategy. Nothing new. He's been doing the same thing, I would tell you, since the Garden of Eden. It's about the flesh. Appealing to the flesh. Appealing to the flesh. The, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the and a pride of life. And so, you and I, we can learn from the old seasoned soldiers, if we'll listen. Uh, we can research the generation that's already passed on and see how they fought the same battles we're fighting if we'll just do our research. We can learn from current soldiers out there on the front lines trying to hold that biblical stand and hold that scriptural way. And we can train new soldiers. Now, I agree with you, there's not a whole lot of new ones to train, but we can train them because the training manual hasn't changed. It's been the same for 2,000 years. What we have to do is resist the temptation to water it down and make it easier, to make it more appealing. If God had wanted it more appealing to the flesh, he could have done it. He could have set up anything he wanted. And he set up a straight and narrow way. And so our loyalty to God calls us to stand with him in the straight and narrow way. Now, I know that's crazy radical. But just upside down and backwards from anything most people are thinking. And I think that's why Christ said there are going to be only a few who find it. And what I want you to do is be one of the few that actually find it. And I want you to be a winner when this life is over. So let's conclude. Let's close it. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast today. I really value your time. I know you've got other things you could be doing. So it's so kind of you to listen to our podcast. And I really do believe that together you and I can make a difference. Now, I don't think we're going to transform the world in some great global revival, but I know we can transform our own little corner of the world beginning in our own heart. And as always, of course, I hope you have a great day.